I mean, we're going to, um, like I said last week, we, we spent some time looking back over in the kind of Thanksgiving end of year service. And, and this morning, I want to uh, spend some time kind of casting some sort of vision and what has been a vision Sunday. Um, I don't know if you can remember in 2020, I think that was just before the pandemic started, I talked about the year of perfect vision um, and actually how, how none of us could have ever foreseen the year 2020 that we were going to embark on. But actually, um, I want us this morning to, to again come back to this, this place of, you know, God, where are you leading us as a congregation? What are your plans for us? And we're going to be reading from God's Word in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 20 down to verse 46. So there's quite a few verses this morning, so bear with me. And you'll be thankful to know that it's not a verse-by-verse sermon this morning, but it's a bit more Presbyterian. It's a three-point sermon, with, and all three points are in alliteration as well, all beginning with the letter P. Um, so some of you might be quite impressed with that. So let's read from 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read verse 20 down to verse 46. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seeths of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you're the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the peop all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Now, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah came up to the top of, the, of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and winds, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Amen. A passage of scripture that... Many of us might be familiar with, and, and especially the, the one about the, the, the rain, the, the, the cloud the size of a man's hand, has been one that has actually kind of inspired a lot of, a lot of praise songs. But this morning, I want us just to spend a few moments just picking out three points from this passage that we've read that we would do well to look to implement in our own lives in the year 2022 and in the, the, the years after that as well. And when we're first introduced to Elijah, Things are in a really bad way for God's people. God's people had wandered away from him. The, the instruction from God was that they should have no other gods before him. That he was the only one that they should worship because he is the only true God. But God's people had wandered away from him and begun to worship um, Baal, this false god in that day. And it was, the worship of Baal was at an all-time high when King Ahab married a lady called Jezebel. And she was not one of God's people, and actually she was a real admirer of the, the false god, Baal. So this kind of brought a really, a really intensified worship and idolatry of Baal within God's people. But God raised up Elijah for such a time as this. When things were really bad, and things were looking in a really bad state, God had prepared a way for his people to return to himself. He had prepared Elijah for such a time as this. And part of the story of Elijah is, is, the, is the mission of God's people's heart being turned back towards Yahweh, back towards the God of the covenant, the God of the Bible. And we see that even within Elijah's name. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. 
And actually, in the midst of, of a day and age when things were going really bad for God's people, for anyone who was following God, there was, there was the threat of death. And we see that there was 450 prophets of Baal that, that Elijah was standing up and facing here. And he was the only prophet left, we read. 450 against one. Now, if you were a betting man or betting woman, I wonder who your money would be on there. But actually, the thing that we see in Scripture and the thing we need to be reminded of this morning is that one with God is always the majority. Because it's not about our strength or our giftings, but it's about whose name we come in, whose name we pray in, and who we follow. So the first thing that Elijah says in chapter 17 of 1 Kings is, there's going to be a flood. It's the first thing, the first message he brings from, God's, uh, from God towards King Ahab. He says, there's, sorry, not a flood, there's going to be a drought. There's going to be a drought. There's going to be no rain until I say so, Elijah says. And why was this? Well, rain was Baal's trump card. I wonder if you've ever played Top Trumps. It's a game that I'm trying to teach Joel, but he doesn't really quite catch the concept of it. And I'm too competitive to try and teach him how to play it. So we're going to put it to the side just now until he can understand how to do it. But Rain was Baal's trump card. He, his followers thought that, that he was the storm god. He was the god of storms. That he could bring rain just at the click of his finger. So Elijah basically goes and says, I'm playing Top Trumps with you, King Ahab, and with your false god. And your god is the god of rain. He's the god of the storm. And I'm going to say that there's going to be no rain until I say there's going to be rain because my god has said so. So there's no rain. I mean, read it. There's no rain for about three and a half years the drought lasts for. Three and a half years. And then Elijah sent out to uh, the east and he um, He's provided for by God, by this, this, this river and by ravens bringing him food. And then Elijah is told to go back to see King Ahab. And he tells King Ahab to meet him at Mount Carmel because there's going to be, um, if you ever watch those kind of old country western films, you can imagine like they're doing a, one of those things where they put their backs together, they're turning around and then they're taking their guns at a draw. I think that's what it's called. That's basically what's going on here. There's going to be a draw between the prophets. The prophets of Yahweh, number, there's only one of them, and 450 prophets of Baal to see whose God is powerful and more powerful and all-powerful. The drought lasted, like I said, for three and a half years. And now we read, we're just at the verse, verse 20, where they've met at Mount Carmel for this showdown. And I want us to look at three points this morning. And the three points are this. Priority. Prayer. And perseverance. Priority, prayer, and perseverance. And like I said, these verses that we've just read, for God's people, things were in a really bad way, naturally. They looked terrible. There was hardly anyone worshipping God. The altar we read has been broken because Elijah rebuilds it. And they're off worshipping false gods. So the worship of God had nearly been totally wiped out. But God always has a remnant. He always has a people that he raises up for such a time as this. Now you could say that 
if you wanted to, you can maybe draw some parallels between, well, you know, we're seeing the decline of churches in Scotland, the, 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 the amount of, of worshipping communities, you know, in, in churches, their numbers are getting smaller and smaller. And, and you could say, well, maybe actually we, we're seeing some similarities here between um, Elijah's day and, and our day here. Thankfully, there's more than one of us, though, here this morning. We're already outnumbering Elijah. We're already outnumbering how many was with Elijah that day. And we see three things that Elijah draws on. Priority, prayer, and perseverance. And there are three key things that we need to implement in our lives as individuals and let them become the bedrock of us as a congregation as well. Priority. I think this is something that we are needing to learn. A couple of years ago, I think it was in 2020, we looked at um, when Joshua basically called to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in verse 21 here in 1 Kings chapter 18, that's effectively the call that Elijah puts to the people. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And we're going to look at priority tonight. I think this is something, a lesson that, that actually we need to learn even in the midst of this pandemic and this COVID thing and crisis that's going on. I think it's something that we can learn from COVID is priority. I was speaking with someone this week who was teasing out the rhetorical question about why is this going on? What is the point in COVID? Why is all this happening? And we had a wee discussion, but it, it, it's been with me since that question has been asked. Now, I need to be really careful here because ultimately I don't know why COVID is here and what's going on and why it's happening. But this is just my thought as to something that we can draw from it and learn from it in the midst of what we have been engaging in. I think the question we are being asked as Christians is this. Is God enough? Is he enough? In the first lockdown that we had, Everything was stripped away from us. Absolutely everything. And as I was preparing that, that praise song that many of us know and love here, when the music fades and all is stripped away, I, I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. And it was what I say, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. And we could say in the midst of COVID that actually everything's been stripped away from us. Our norm, the normality of life. The, the traditions that we have been engaging in, that actually everything's been shaken up. It's all been stripped away. But the one constant, the one thing that hasn't gone is God himself. Is God enough for you this morning? If God, if the Lord is God, Elijah says, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. There was a pastor once who encouraged his congregation to write him letters after he preached sermons with any thoughts, comments, or 
you know, things that came to mind after the sermon. I think that pastor is either very brave or very silly. I don't know which one. But anyway, he encouraged his congregation to, uh, to respond to what he said by writing letters to him. So this went on for a while, and he was sitting down one day to open some of these letters and noticed a child's handwriting. It was from a wee girl, and she put her name, Laureen. And as children do, she put her age as well, nine years old. And this is what it said in her letter. I think a lot more people would come to church if... Now, if you wanted to play a guessing game, you know, fill the blank. <laughs> what would come after that? If you preached longer, if you preached shorter, if you preached better, I, I don't know. But this is what she said. I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. If you moved it to Disneyland. I'm sure she wasn't far wrong. You would definitely uh, engage a much younger demographic if you moved your church to Disneyland. But what's the driving factor in our life? As busy as our church would be if we moved it to whatever the equivalent of Disneyland is in Scotland. I don't know, maybe M&D or Landmark up in Aviemore. Whatever the equivalent would be. I'm sure we would engage more people. But actually, we don't need to move to a theme park. Because God is enough. He's enough. I'm going to write a book one day and this is the title. And this isn't about Sandy Hill, so please don't hear me wrong. This is just something that's in my heart. I want to write one day. And now that I've said it, I need to do it. The gospel still works. The church is just lazy. The gospel still works. The church is just lazy. The gospel is still as powerful today as it was when it was being written. As when Jesus brought it and inaugurated it here on earth. The gospel still works. It's still as powerful that we've just got into a place where we don't bring it out to people anymore. And again, we see God calling his people to realign their priorities and put him first. If the Lord is God, follow him. And if it's Baal, follow him. Don't dither is basically what Elijah says in verse 21. How long will you go limping? How long will you go um, basically kind of swaying between two thoughts of the day, two opinions, go limping? Dithering would be a, a word that we might understand. How long will you go dithering between two different opinions? Stop floating towards Baal and floating back to God. Stop uh, flirting with Baal and then returning to Yahweh. If Baal is God, follow him. But if it's Yahweh, then let him be the first in your heart. Let him be the reason you wake up in the morning. Let him be the reason you sing. Let him be the reason that you breathe. May he be the main priority in your life. As Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. Abide in me. C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Yahweh is God, follow him. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes. May this be the year that we go in and say, Jesus, all for Jesus. Or, or all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Because he is God. And God, we will follow you in this place. So this year again, let us, Make our number one priority 
Jesus and his kingdom. And as well as that, I want us to grow in our prayer life as a church. That brings us on to our second point, prayer. We read about this, um, this sacrifice that Elijah kind of asked the prophets of Baal to make and that he would make to see whose God would send fire. And the one that would send fire would be the one true God, the one that had power. Now, the prophets of Baal, they are calling for hours and there's nothing because there's no power in the one whose name they called on Baal. He had nothing. He was no one. He was a false god. And actually, Elijah mocks them because in verse 27, he says, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing himself or he is relieving himself. What that relieving himself means is maybe he's gone to the bathroom and he can't hear you, is effectively what Elijah is saying to the prophets of Baal. Maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he sleeps and must not be wakened. Friends, the one we worship neither slumber nor sleeps. He who keeps his people and what does Elijah do? Well, he, he is so confident in the one who sent him that he calls for them to cover what he was asking for fire to fall in, in water three times. It was soaked. It was absolutely drenched. There was a trench full of water. And then Elijah draws close to the Lord in prayer. We read in verse 36, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That you have turned their hearts back. Do you know what I love about Elijah's prayer? He doesn't ask, you know, God, show that I'm right here. It's for the glory of God and the hearts of the people. I wonder what the driving factor in our prayer life is. Is it for the glory of God and for the hearts of people to be turned towards him? In prayer, we, we aren't giving God suggestions. That's not what we, what we do in prayer. God, have you thought about this? Have you thought about X, Y, or Z? Maybe you could do this. Maybe you could move in this way, God. But what we do in prayer, friends, is that we come into alignment with his will and his purposes. And Elijah draws close to God in, in prayer. The people of Baal, the prophets of Baal have failed miserably. And what do we see? Well, Elijah in verse 21, he's asked them to stop dithering, stop limping or swaying between the two opinions. But in verse 21, we read that there was no response. They didn't say anything to Elijah's request. There was, there was no movement in their hearts. But what we read in verse 39, after the fire of the Lord falls, after Elijah's prayer, is that when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah prayed. God moved. People's hearts were transformed. Elijah prayed. God moved. People's hearts were transformed formed. Friends, we need God to move in power in our day and in our land. Moving to Disneyland, it wouldn't do anything. 
We need a fresh outpouring from heaven. There's a verse in Isaiah that says that I will pour out the waters on the dry and thirsty land. Friends, our land is so dry. It is so thirsty. And what we need is a fresh move of God from heaven. In and of ourselves, we cannot make the blind bit of difference. We see that from Elijah. He asks him to do something and nothing happens. But when God moves, it makes all the difference. When God moves in power, people's hearts are transformed. Lives are changed. Communities are awakened. Revival breaks out. And there's something about God not being able to resist when his people gather together in prayer. He loves it when his people pray. Where there's unity, he says, my blessing resides. It's like oil running down the beard of Aaron. And what that oil talks about is basically the, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When God's people gather together in unity and prayer and call on the name of the Lord and are aligned with their priorities, seeking first his kingdom, things happen and lives are changed. And what does Elijah do? He prays that God's promises. He calls on the covenant nature of God, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob is another way that could be translated. He calls, a call, calls upon the covenant nature of God. God, you are the God of covenant. You're the God of promises. Move in power here so you can receive glory and your people's hearts will be turned back towards you. And what we see in Elijah's prayer is a real desperation for a move of God. How desperate are we for God to move in power? Are we happy just trundling along from one day to the next? Or do we have a God-given hunger, a God-given desperation that, God, we need you to move. We need you to move in power. John Knox once said, give me Scotland or I die. Do we have that hunger in our hearts, Sandy Hills? God, give us the community of Sandy Hills or we die. We need you to move, God. We're desperate for a fresh outpouring from heaven. Our typical Sundays just rolling along. God, they're not enough. We need an outpouring. We need heaven to break through. Fire falls and the people return to the Lord. But Elijah's mission wasn't done yet. There had been no rain for three years. And in verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for this is the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. So Elijah, he wasn't going on the natural surroundings. So often, church is driven by what we see in the natural but that's not what Elijah's driving factor was here. Because there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Six times the servant went to sea and he couldn't see one single cloud. So how did Elijah know rain was coming? Because he trusted in the word of God. In chapter 18 verse 1, this is what God said. Go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, 
But God had said it was going to happen, so it was going to happen. Elijah wasn't guided by the natural, but he trusted in the word of God. God promised, and there wasn't a a rain dance that Elijah could do to make God's promise come any quicker. He had to submit himself to God's perfect plan, perfect will, and perfect timing. And that's something that we need to remember in prayer. That we might be desperate for it to happen here and now, but God is sovereign. He's in control. And it's in accordance to his perfect timing and his perfect will. And Elijah submits himself to God's perfect timing and he gets down in the posture of worship. We see that when he puts his face between his knees, he basically lies on the ground. And in James chapter 5, we read that Elijah was praying, praying for the rain to come. May prayer be what fuels everything we do. But Elijah had to, and we come on to our third point, he had to persevere in prayer. He had to keep on going. He couldn't give up. He couldn't stop. But he trusted and he persevered in prayer. And for me, this is a key lesson for God's people. Elijah had been told by God that rain was coming. God had said it. He'd spoken it. And he's not a man that he should lie. And his word is trustworthy and true. But Elijah doesn't go home and just chill out. You know, put on Disney Plus for a while. Just chill. You know, God said it's going to happen so I can just relax and just wait for it to happen. Nope. He gets into the posture of worship and he shows his faith in God's spoken word. He positions himself in the posture of worship. There's a phrase that I use sometimes that, you know, the church's problem, it's not a program issue. It's a posture issue. But we always try and fix program before we try and fix posture. We try and put on a better event or try and do something new that looks a wee bit different. But maybe God is calling us back to basics. Get your priorities in order, Sandy Hills. Get in that place of prayer and keep on praying, trusting in my word until I move in power in your land. Seven times the servant goes. I wonder the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth, how fed up this poor servant was getting, walking up the mountain to go and see if there was a cloud. How many of us would have stopped at the third time? I would probably have stopped at the second because I don't really like walking up hills. Imagine the sixth time. Oh, Elijah, come on, man. I've already been up here six times and there's nothing. And he goes back and he says, go again. Seventh time. Oh, come on, Elijah, are you for real? Another time. But can you imagine the, the, the delight in the servant's face when he just sees the smallest of clouds on the horizon? The smallest glimpse that God was about to do what he said he was going to do. And friends, we must not despise the day of small fruits. God has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And friends, I put it to you, we have seen the si- the, a cloud the size of a man's fist. We've seen ones or twos, threes and fours come to faith here in the last number of years. Lord, let that be just the smallest glimpses of a cloud for what you're really about to do in Sandy Hills. 
Because God, you said you will build your church. You said you will pour out your spirit. And God, we're thirsty. God, we're hungry. Would you move in power in our midst? Lord, help us to get our priorities in the right order. Seeking first your kingdom. Lord, send the rain. Send the rain. And that number seven in scripture is the number of, of completion or the number of perfection. Basically, the servant went the perfect number of times. He submitted himself to God's perfect timing. I've said before that faith is the key to unlock the sovereign promises of God. But friends, how do we know his promises if we don't know his word? Sandy Hills may 2022 be the most you've ever read your Bibles. May it be the most you've ever prayed. May it be the most you've ever seek, sought after his kingdom first. God has said he will provide. God has said the fields are white unto harvest. God has said he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. But may he find in this place a people like Elijah. Who gets their priorities in order. And who seeks first his kingdom. And prays without ceasing. But in perseverance trusting in his perfect ways. And this morning I end my sermon but begin this year with something that someone told me a few months ago. This is what they said in an email. About 30 years or more ago, a minister's wife who was in this area prophesied that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow through the east end of Glasgow. Lord, let it be so. Lord, let it be so. For the glory and sake of your name. And that the hearts of people will be turned towards you. I believe God wants to move in power in our land. Not because I think it's a good idea. But because he said he will pour out his water, his spirit on the dry and thirsty land. Will you join with me Sandy Hills in 2022. Shouting with all we have. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. There is none but He. Would you join with me praying with perseverance for a fresh move of God in our midst and in our land. And I promise you, if God finds a hungry and thirsty people, He cannot resist pouring out His blessing. And I end with this which I think should be our verse for the year. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, holy is your name. And holy are your ways. We trust in you. Lord, maybe for the first time, and maybe for the umpteenth time. But Lord, this day, we rededicate ourselves as a people seeking after your kingdom first, trusting in the name of the Lord, because you are God. Lord, we rededicate ourselves as a praying people, a people who pray and who love your word, and who pray forth your promises. 
We trust in your perfect timing. And God, we keep going. Either until we see you move or until you call us home. We thank you that there's a job to do. We thank you that the gospel still works. And Lord, may we have just seen the first fruits of what you're going to do in our midst. Lord, with that, that prophecy that that lady gave 30 odd years ago, may we see the Holy Spirit sweep through the east end of Glasgow. May it all be to the glory of God the Father. Done in the name of the Holy in the name of the Son Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your name. Amen. And we're going to.